I want to share with all of you this morning um, why, why I believe in the resurrection. And it, it's so wonderful to know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't, we don't believe in something that's wishful thinking or that we hope it's true. But when we look into the word of God, we see that Jesus authenticates who he is and that he did rise from the grave and how he showed himself physically to his disciples and others who loved him to show them that he is actually alive. He, didn't, he just didn't say, hey, just believe it, and um, there's an empty tomb, and he just went up to heaven, but he actually spent time after his resurrection with his disciples and other people to show that he indeed was the Savior. And, and I want you to understand something this morning, that it's personal. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. When I I grew up in church, and my, my parents did a, a good job bringing me to church. And, and we would celebrate Easter, and we would go to church, and, you know, they would, they would dress us up. I, I had my own, like, fedora, you know, my picture, that picture, trench coat, you know, the whole, they would, you know, how remember those days where you, you, when you went to church, you dressed up, right? You got decked out, right? So, and um, so we would do the whole thing. And, and it, it wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus or believe these things happened, but it, it, it didn't change my life. It, it really didn't change until I was 16 years old and realized that Jesus actually died for me, that he gave his life for me, that he hung on the cross for me, that he bore my sins on his shoulder, that he rose from the grave for me to show me that, Barden, I want to have a personal relationship with you, and I want your life to change. And that happened in April 1982. And I've never looked back. And for those of you that are online or those of you that are sitting here today, I want this to be for you more than just something you believe or maybe something that you were raised in. The resurrection is all about transformation. It's not just about believing in something. It's about literally transforming your life. And when you come in contact with Jesus Christ, he transforms your life one that was hopeless, one that was insecure, one that wasn't sure about the future, to one who was confident, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, when we are with Christ, it doesn't matter, that he promised us that he would always be with us, even to the ends of the world. And that's what I want you to, that's what I want you to know today, and I want, want you to walk away here with this morning. Um, have you ever been told something that necessarily wasn't true? Um, I, I had this great-grandmother, and I love my great-grandmother. She was great. And uh, she was the type of grandma that had the plastic on her, on her Davenport. <laughs> Davenport? Am I going back? All right, on, on her couch, right? And, you know, you, a hot day, you get on that Davenport with the plastic, you know, you know trying to... Because she didn't want... She wanted that couch, the Davenport, to be in pristine condition always, right? So she knew I was mischievous. She knew I was getting in trouble. So when I was a little boy, four or five years old, she had one of these refrigerators. And once again, I'm going back. I'm sorry. I'm going to be 55 next week, double nickels. Oh, my goodness. What has happened, right? Oh. My wife made me work in the yard all day yesterday. She goes, get out there. You need to start working. Now I'm dying. My back hurts. I'm like, Kathleen is such a taskmaster. No, she actually said, don't work too hard out there. But you know how you know that happens. The first time you get in the yard, you think you're Superman. And, it's, and then you work too long, and then you pay for the next day. That's how I'm feeling today, by the way. Um, so my grandma, she had this refrigerator, and she had a pedal 
on the bottom of the refrigerator that would open the door for you. I don't know if you guys remember that type of refrigerator. So she had this pedal, and I was going to, it, it looked fun. So I, gonna, I ran up to it, and I was going to put my foot on it. She goes, no, Barden, don't touch that pedal. Because she knew once I did that, I was going to keep opening it, opening it, opening it. And uh, she told me, if you press the pedal, the refrigerator is going to blow up. This is my great-grandmother. <laughs> this is my great-grandmother. I'm in therapy today because of that. I'm uh, terrified of refrigerators to this day. So it was, until I was about 18 years old, I figured out that's not what's going to happen. It's not going to blow up. So I remember telling my mom, and mom's like, what did Grandma Luella tell you now? What did she tell you now? And I go, Ma, she told me that. And she goes, oh, that's, that's not true. I want you to realize this morning, what Jesus does for us is not only does he tell us the truth, but he backs it up. There's an interesting Russian proverb that says, trust but verify. Trust, but verify. Why should we believe in Jesus? You may be here today, you may be watching online, and you're thinking, why should I believe in Jesus? Why should I believe in the claims of Jesus? Because if we do believe in that, and if it is true, everything changes. It's it's a game changer. And is there evidence that authenticates Jesus' divinity? I want you to realize this morning that Christianity ultimately rests on the resurrection. Everything about Christianity rests on whether or not this is true. The Apostle Paul said that all our preaching would be in vain if it weren't true. I would not be up here this morning if the resurrection wasn't true. It would be useless. It would be meaningless. So why the ultimatum? Why the ultimatum? Why put all our eggs into one basket about the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection? For this reason, listen to me closely, if it's not true, then Jesus wouldn't be God. If it's not true, then Jesus would be just another good religious figure or maybe even a prophet. Uh, scholar, Biblical scholar William Lane Craig says this, Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of him being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of his career. The origins of Christianity therefore hinge on the belief of the early disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what do we know to be true about this? What do we know? Remember, trust but verify. We can verify that it's true. We can verify. Many people, many skeptics would say, well, we believe that the resurrection was just a made-up story that after a while it it turned into legend. And I want you to understand that the resurrection was not a made-up story that happened over time, which many skeptics would say. Some would say Jesus' follower made up the resurrection over time to the point that it became legend. It's like, you ever play the telephone game where you start off with a, a, a sentence and then you whisper to somebody else and they whisper to somebody else you do with 15 or 20 people and by the end it's like totally different from what the original story was. This is what many skeptics would say. It just over time it turned into legend. But I'm going to tell you that that's not true with the resurrection story. One of the earliest Christian creeds is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 6. It says, For what I receive I pass on to you in first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, that on the third day according to the Scriptures, 
And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This creed began to circulate shortly after Jesus' resurrection. There is no way that the story of the resurrection could occur that quickly or become legend that quickly. And so what Paul is saying to those that are there, he's saying, listen, don't even ask me. There are others that can verify. There's eyewitness accounts that Jesus rose from the grave. And there's a reason for this. And I want to dig into this. Why is it important that it was a bodily resurrection? That Jesus actually had a physical body after his resurrection? That it wasn't a ghost It wasn't some figment of our imagination that it was actually a physical body. Paul then says that there are those that are still alive and you can ask them, if you don't believe me, 500 people saw his resurrection and you can ask them. If it was false and not true, why wouldn't Paul cover it? Why would he say, go verify it? So we know that there are eyewitnesses account of the resurrection. And what's wonderful about this creed is is that in the early church, um, they didn't corrupt this They didn't corrupt the truth about Jesus. They were just telling people this is what happened and their lives changed. They simply passed on that truth and for many they gave their lives for that truth. John Scott, biblical scholar, says Jesus himself never predicted his death without adding that he would rise and described his coming resurrection as a sign. Paul, at the beginning of his letter to Romans, wrote that Jesus was the designated son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And the earliest sermons of the apostles recorded in the the Acts repeatedly assert that by the resurrection, God has reversed man's sentence and vindicated his son. You see, after his resurrection, Jesus came to those who trusted him and thought he was dead and they thought it was over and Jesus comes to them. Jesus tells them, listen, come and see. He asked them to check it out themselves. See, the importance of the physical resurrection for Jesus is that he comes to those who trust him and loved him and he says, come and see. I want you to see that I am alive. I want to have that personal relationship with you. I want you to know that this is all true, that everything I said is true and I authenticate everything that I said and did here on earth. And so this leaves no room for doubt. The reason for all the excitement of the early followers of Jesus for one reason The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. He is no longer in the tomb. Now, there's something very interesting that happened on the morning of the resurrection. Uh, Some women named Mary came to anoint Jesus' body and prepare his body, and they came, and they're like, well, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Who's going to do this? The stone is too large. Who's going to do that? And all of a sudden, they get there, and there's this earthquake, and there's an angel, and the stone is, is moved away, and the angel says to Mary, he's, he's, he's not here. He's, he's gone. Now, what's interesting about that, why couldn't the angel, why did the angel have to move the stone away? Why couldn't the angel just sat there on top of the tomb and said, yeah, he's not here. Just believe me. He's not here. I don't need to move the stone away. Just, just believe me. He's not here. But the angel moved. The stone was moved away. Now, Jesus is already gone. So Jesus didn't need the stone. As I was a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, the angel needed to be there to move the stone out so Jesus could get out. But if you understand scripture and you read it, Jesus is already gone. 
So, so the angel didn't need to remove the stone to allow Jesus to get out. The stone was removed so that we could look in. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, I want you to come. I want you to verify it for yourself. I want you to peer in and see that I am no longer here. It was the empty tomb that would give them hope, that would cause them not to ultimately become discouraged or hopeless in their lives, knowing that Jesus conquered the grave. And so what Jesus does for you and I, he says, listen, I invite you to come in and to see for yourself that I'm alive. But you need to take that step and you need to believe. And you need to understand, I want to have this personal relationship with you. And so the angel, you know, allows Mary to, to peer into this. And so the stone wasn't rolled back for Jesus to get up, but for us to, to see in. So why did the disciples of Jesus give everything for Christ? Why did they lay their lives down for this, for, for Jesus? Because of the empty tomb. They didn't give their lives for a lie. They gave their lives for the truth that they personally witnessed Jesus themselves. So Jesus comes to his disciples, and after his death and resurrection, Jesus appears to many in his physical body. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's Jesus in the flesh. And so Jesus appears to his disciples, and one disciple that he appears to is, is Peter. We know Peter, he denied the Lord three times, and now he comes to Peter to, to show himself to Peter. And what we know of Peter, as we read in Scripture, is Peter becomes one of the leaders in the church he has this bold message of Jesus. He's there on the day of Pentecost preaching to those who crucified Christ. He's not, you know, I call him wimp turned warrior. He was wimpy before the resurrection and after the resurrection. Here's a warrior for Christ, someone that is empowered by God himself knowing that Jesus is alive and he's speaking to the very people who persecuted Jesus and he does it without fear or intimidation. He endures persecution because of his belief in Christ. Why? Because he had seen Jesus. He's an eyewitness to Jesus. So why is the physical appearance to the disciples so vital, so important? And this is what I want you to catch this morning. William Len Craig says, one, to show that he was raised physically. And secondly, he was the same Jesus who was crucified. He wanted them to know, this is me. And so when he would appear to his disciples, he would, he would have the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side to show them, yeah, this is, this is me. I am the one. I died a physical death. And there's a reason for Jesus' physical death and there's a reason for his physical uh, resurrection. That's important for you and I to see because ultimately for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's our future hope that one day we too will be resurrected. One day these bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That which was mortal is going to take on immortality. How many of you know that your bodies are breaking down? Can I get an amen? I'm being 50, 55 next week. 55, 55, right? It's breaking down. We see it. Isn't it funny how we fight against that? We do. We think we're going to be young and we, we fight against that. But the reality is these earthly bodies are wasting away. Now, I'm sorry it doesn't give you warm, you know, fuzzy feelings, but it's the truth. And here's the reality. The reality of it is because of sin. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The physical uh, resurrection of Jesus gives us hope 
in these bodies that are wasting away that one day we will be changed and we will be like him. What happened to Jesus instantaneously will eventually happen for those who trust Christ. Jesus says, even though you die, you will live. So the result of sin because of Adam and Eve's dis, you know, disobeying God, we all have a sin nature. We're born with it. We can't overcome it ourselves. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with our sin nature. Jesus came to deal with our sin because he was perfect. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he hung there for you. That's why he's our substitute. So he takes our sin upon himself and then he proves that he is the son of God by conquering death for you and I to give us a hope that can never be found in this world. The Bible says that our lives are like a vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. And, and the older I get, the more I realize how fast life goes by. Can I get an amen? All you 50-plusers, right? It, it does. Your kids grow up, they leave the house. It's like, my goodness, what just happened? It seems just like yesterday they were in, in diapers, and now you're sending away, and hopefully one day more kids will leave my house. I don't know how it's happening. Hopefully it will happen sooner or later, but it, 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 it goes so fast. It does. That shows the brevity of life. And Jesus says, I have come to give you hope because in this world, you will not find the ultimate hope you are looking for. You will not find it here. And so Jesus gives hope to his disciples by showing up and showing them his physical body. He shows them his wounds. He comes to Thomas who wouldn't believe in, and Thomas' disciples says, I'm not going to believe until I see it, until I see the wounds in his hands and his feet and his eyes. Then I'll believe And What does Jesus do? He comes to him. Because he loves him and he shows him. He says, Thomas, blessed are you because you believe, because you felt it, you see it. But blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. That's you and I. So what I do is I trust the testimony of those who've seen the risen Savior because of the lives that were changed. The lives that were laid down for the cause of Christ and the truth of his resurrection. And so Jesus appears to 500 followers, which Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness. And so Paul is challenging those to check it out for themselves. Why would Paul do this if it were not true? Here's one that just amazes me. So here we have Jesus. He appears to his disciples. He appears to Mary. He's showing them his physical body, that he's alive, which gives them hope to realize that he conquered the grave, and that's why they give their lives for him. That's why they're serving him. But this one amazes me. Jesus appears to his brothers that he grew up with. And one of his brothers was James. And James wrote the book of James, which we have in the Bible. And James didn't follow Jesus during his lifetime or any of his brothers. They didn't believe in his messiahship. Now, to me, this makes sense. If you have any brothers or sisters, this would make sense. Can you imagine your brother coming up to you and saying, hey, by the way, I'm the messiah. Okay, just telling you, I have come into the world to save you from your nasty sins. Okay, so you will bow down before me one day and give your life to me. Is that cool? What's going to happen? They're going to give him a noogie. They're going to give him a wedgie. They're going to, you know, that's what you would do as a brother, right? You'd say, yeah, right, I'm going to do that. If there's no greater testimony in the Bible of Jesus being resurrected from the dead, it's that one. It's his brothers believed in him. What brother would believe another brother's messiahship? Nobody. And here Jesus appears to them after his resurrection. And what's amazing about James is James gives his life, church history tells us, for the sake 
of Jesus as being the Messiah and the Savior of the world. After the resurrection, they came to believe in him. To me, that's incredible. The question is, why? How did they come to believe in him, even willing to give their life on his behalf? The only plausible explanation is Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection, and they believed. Amazing story. So why is Jesus' physical appearance after his resurrection so vital? Because that changes everything. And this is what I want you to grasp today. What Jesus is doing for us, for his, for his followers, is he's showing us our future hope. That changes everything. See, the problem with this world is we can get so captivated by it, can't we? And when we begin to put our trust in the things of this world, how fastly they can let us down. Who knew last year we would go through COVID? In a moment, our world shut down. No one saw it coming, right? We're not promised anything in this world. We're not. And how quickly things can change. And if our life is not built on a sure foundation, then it will quickly crumble. It's like building your house on the sand. Jesus comes and he says, I want to give you a security and a hope that nothing in this world can give you. And I don't know about you, I've been let down by people and relationships and things in this world. How many of us, amen, we, we're all there, right? Just, just us and who, who was ever online, just, we're just talking this morning, right? We've been let down. Been let down by church. But Jesus never lets us down. He says, listen, I want, Jesus says, I want you to see me. I'm not going to tell you that everything's going to be perfect in this world or that when you follow me, everything's going to be wonderful. In fact, he says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but I want to give you my peace and take heart. I've overcome this world for you. And so what Jesus does is he shows up. He shows himself to those that loved him. He showed himself to the disciples. He showed himself to Mary. He showed himself to say, I am real. I am alive. And I will never leave you. And then what he says to him, he goes, listen, I'm going to send up to heaven. And he goes, I'm going to send you another comforter. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will, who will be in you, who will give you comfort, who will verify that you indeed are, are, are children of God. And he walks with us always. That's what a perfect Savior we have, that he's always with us. I like what Paul says to the Corinthian church, because they have all these questions like, you know, like we all do, what, what happens after we die? If there's one question I get asked more than any other, it's like, Pastor, what happens immediately after I die? Well, I've got some good news and I got some bad news. So there's, there's two ways it can go, right? And the, the good news about those that trust in Christ, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can see that with the thief on the cross, remember? He put his trust in Jesus and he goes, will you remember me? When you come into your kingdom, Jesus says, not only will I remember you, but you'll be with me in paradise. That's some pretty hopeful words because that, that thief had no time to come down off the cross, go through a membership class, get baptized. He had no time to do that, make things right with people, right? He had no time. To, he, was, he, was, he knew that he was up there for a reason. He looked at Jesus and knew that he wasn't supposed to be up there. Jesus peers into this thief's heart and says, today you will be with me in paradise. 
So the Corinthian church is asking questions. They're like, well, what happens after we die? What happens after we die? Paul does a beautiful job in explaining the power of the resurrection and what Jesus accomplished for you and I. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of it. He says, he says what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? That's what I'm saying, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. I love this. He says, we will not all die, but we will all be what? Transformed. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in a blink of an eye at the last trumpet is blown. And when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. So here he is. He's quoting an Old Testament passage which says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I've been a a pastor for 31 years. I know it doesn't look like it, but 31 years I've been pastoring full-time. So I do a lot of funerals. And you see the sting of death when you walk into a funeral, a memorial service. How many know death hurts? It hurts every single one of us. And what Paul is saying here, because of the resurrection Death no longer has its sting over our life. The uncertainty of the unknown no longer has its sting for us. And look, here's what Paul does. He, He explains it in verse 56. Look at what he says. He says, for sin is the sting that results in death. Because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, it entered the world. All of us are sinners. We're, we're all in the same playing field there. That's why there's death. That's the penalty of our sin. That's why we grow older. That's why there's death in the world. There's a sting to it. None of us can overcome it in our own strength. And then he goes on to say, and the law gives sin its power, which means when you do something wrong, you know, like the Ten Commandments, you feel the guilt and the condemnation over it. So now he says, the law and the do's and the don'ts uh, further accentuate the, the power and the, and the sting of death. But then he goes on in verse 57 to say, but thank God he gives us the victory over sin and death by being a good person, by going to church enough, by saying a couple prayers, right? What does he say? Where is our victory? Our victory is through Jesus Christ who did everything for you. He's not expecting you to be that perfect person or trying to be perfect because guess what? Tomorrow you're going to mess up. Guarantee it. You're going to make a mistake. And that can be a very defeating life when we're trying to do it in our own strength. He says, no, it's through Christ who did it for you. So he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and move. We'll always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, no matter how hard your life is, the struggles that you go through, God can use it for his glory because this world isn't all that there is. 
And he will use what you go through for his purpose and his glory. He will give you strength. He will give you faith to traverse through this world and actually use it for his glory, knowing that in the back of our mind, this isn't all that there is. I know that this is momentary, as Paul says, this is temporal, but I know something greater is waiting for me. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, they're worried, he's leaving in John 14, and and they said, Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You're leaving us. And Jesus says, listen, listen, chill, right? Don't let your hearts be what? Troubled. You're stressing out. You're worrying too. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says this. He says, trust in your own goodness. No, that's not what he says. He says, listen, trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust in me. Trust also in God. For in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So don't be troubled. I've got this all taken care of. Yes, this world's going to be difficult. Yes, your life's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. So don't be troubled. There is a place for you with me. And I want you to see how Paul describes our earthly bodies. This is going to not give you some warm fuzzies, but I'm sorry. This is just what Paul says. Here's the truth. He he describes our bodies that we're living in now as perishable, exist in this world in dishonor, exist in weakness. It's natural. We are of this earth, dust. Boy, those aren't giving you... You know, that's not giving me warm fuzzies, Pastor. Please tell me I'm a snowflake and I'm an individual and just make me feel good about myself. But this is true. Listen, it's, it's mortal. You're mortal. These bodies are breaking down. But then I want you to see how he describes our resurrected bodies. Six foot ten. Can we just pray right now that God gives me a, a over six foot? I, I made it to 5'11 and stopped. And then my two boys, they pop over six foot. I go, I hate you, boy. You know, come on. You gave it to my boy. You didn't give it to me. I just her, got to five. I was like, I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to get to six foot. No, never. Have. But with shoes on, I am. So I can fake it a little bit, you know. But this is how he describes a resurrected body. Imperishable, raised in glory, raised in power, spiritual, not formed from the ground, but from the spirit of God. The spirit that now lives in you guarantees your redemption, your future redemption. That should give you hope of an eternity that will always be with Christ, immortal. You can now run a marathon, praise God. We can now work in the yard all we want. We're not going to get sore, right? You see, here's the thing. The reason why the early disciples were joyful and could endure was for the cause of the resurrection. They knew one day that they would be with the Lord. Jesus gave them a hope to let them know that this world isn't all that there is and that we will one day overcome this world as he did. You see, Jesus' resurrected body shows us that he has the ultimate victory over death. And we will too. And we will too. Just as Jesus said to Martha, he says, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? You see, the proof of your belief in the resurrection is a changed life. It will transform you when you go from just 
yeah, I think about it. And yeah, you know, I celebrate Easter and someone invited me over for a ham dinner after this. So I thought I'd go to church. You know, it's all, it's all good. Jesus, listen, I want the knowledge of the resurrection to ch- change you, to transform your life because that's what it did for the early disciples and those that loved him. Listen, I, I knew of my wife Kathleen before we started dating. We went to the same church and I remember... Um, her and her sister and her mom used to sit, I used, we used to sit up in the balcony and they would sit down uh, below on the main floor. And I remember looking down and going, there's a cute girl with, the, she used to wear bows in her hair. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a cute girl, right? And um, you can tell I was paying attention to the sermons, by the way, very spiritual. Um, and um, then I kind of got to know her in the youth group. We were both in the youth group together. And I said, she's a really nice girl. And then eventually we, we, we started dating and then she eventually broke up with me and I got back at her by marrying her. But anyways, that's a whole long story. It's just, 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 it's a whole thing. But, um, but the thing that is, is I knew of her. But when we started dating and then we got engaged and then we got married, then, then I knew her. I got to really know her personally. And she's my wife and I got, I got to know her. Now, I, I know of Tim Tebow. I love his ministry. I would love to know him too, but I only know of him. I don't, I don't know him personally. Listen, listen, what changes in your life is when you go from knowing about Jesus to actually knowing him. That's why Jesus showed up. That's why Jesus showed up to the disciples. That's why Jesus showed up to Mary. That's why Jesus showed up to all those people. He showed himself that he says, I want to invite you in to a personal relationship with me. Not a religious relationship that's based on a bunch of religious calisthenics or some certain thing you go through, a religious mantra or liturgical thing that you may go through. I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong, but don't base your relationship on Jesus on something you do for him. Jesus says, I want to personally know you and I want you to invite me into your life and make it personal. That's where the transformation happens. When you recognize that Jesus came for you to die on a cross for your sins, to bear your sins, and then to conquer death for you, that you would never have to die. That we would live for him forever. And that's what gives us the hope to make it through this world, is that Jesus is alive. So you say, well, well, Pastor, how, how, do, how do I do that? I mean, how do I, how do I take that step to really make it real in my life? Well, you have to recognize that you're lost. That's hard to do, isn't it? We have to recognize that we're lost. And, and the Word of God says that Jesus came for lost people. All of us are sinners. All of us are lost. No one's in better shape than someone else spiritually. That's why Jesus came. We're lost. And he came for sinners. And we re- when we recognize our lostness, then we say, Jesus, I, I need you, and I recognize. That's where repentance comes in. All, repentance, what it is, is not just feeling sorry for what you've done wrong. Because how many you know you do something wrong, you end up doing it the next week and then the next week? It's really a change of mind. God, I missed your will. I did it my own way. And I need to come back to you. And I need you to change me. It's a change of thinking. And then there's, the, the next step is, is the Bible tells us that, do you believe that God raised his son from the grave? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe 
that he's the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way into the Father except through Jesus. So there's a recognition of our lostness, and then there's that step of saying, I believe in Jesus, that he indeed is the Son of God, that he conquered the grave. And that's where you receive Christ, and you say, Christ, I come before you, and I want you to live in my life. Some of you may have come in this morning, maybe, maybe you're new, and you're like, man, this church is a little wacky. People raising their hands, people really singing. Here's the reason why. We're excited because Jesus has changed us. We're excited that the transformation came from Christ. And sitting amongst us and those watching our line are a bunch of transformed people that couldn't do it themselves, but Jesus transformed you. And you're a testimony of how God changed your life. That's something to get excited about. That's why I love coming together as a church and getting excited about what Jesus did for us. And that was one thing I noticed in the church that I went to younger, a church that really started to celebrate new lives. I'm like, this church is wacky. These people are nuts. They're just, aren't we supposed to just fold our hands and just be real quiet and not say, shh. And these people are just amen and clapping their hands. They're excited about what Jesus has done for them. So I want to pray for you today and I want you to know that God wants you to be part of his family. What makes church beautiful, and listen, church is not perfect because it's full of people. Amen? I tell people all the time, when you find the perfect church, just let me know and I'll go there and I'll ruin it. So just let me know because I'll do that right away. Um, Here's the thing, but Jesus is perfect and we need each other. We need each other. We're running together, a marathon, not a sprint. We're running it together, and we need each other. And that's what I love about the church, because we can pray for each other, we can help each other, and the needs that we go through, that's what makes the church such a beautiful place that Jesus died for. So, Father God, I, as we just bow our hearts before you today, I pray for anyone that's here today that, that doesn't know you, that has not taken that step. I pray, Lord, that they would reach out to you by faith, and Jesus, you tell us that anyone that, that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. That anyone who believes on me, they will be saved. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just touch hearts here today, those that are just confused, those that are feeling hopeless today. Lord, I pray that you would just touch their hearts and let them know that you are there for them and that you want to invite them into a relationship with you that will transform their lives as you take our sin, you transform our hearts, And that, Lord, you give us a new life. Behold, the Bible says, all things become new. The past is is washed away. It's cleansed. It's no longer there for those who are in Christ Jesus. So thank you for the hope that we have because of our risen Savior. So we put our trust in you today. We love you. We thank you. And we want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And the church said, amen. Amen.